the following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we have a very interesting show. Do not... um, It's going to be called the same title as the book that we're going to be talking about. Um, And my guest, of course, Adele Paula Royce, wrote the book. It's called The Little Black Book of Suicide Notes. Now, before you turn off, (laughs) click off. Um, this is not as black as as you may uh, think, right, you know, right from the title. It's actually her her goal, and of course I'll let her talk all about it. Her goal is to um, actually, her hope and her goal is to uh, have people read this book and actually feel, uh, find a way through it that will make them at the end feel less depressed. She's hoping that this will stop the need for anybody to take antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication. Um, I'm, I'm not going to tell she lives in New York. I'm not, I don't want to tell you too much about her because I want to sort of have that unfold as Adele tells us about her life, which is very much bound up. It's, it's a semi-autobiographic memoir. Is that how you would describe it, Adele? Yeah, you know, um, I would say that that's one of the biggest questions. First, I just wanted to preface this by saying thank you so very much. Uh, for having me on the show and allowing yeah. me to bring this message out to your audience and the world. And it's, um, it's important work and hopefully we'll have a very productive conversation that will be very enlightening to the audience. So yeah. the first question you well, well, propose. Wait, wait, let me just say, um, that, you know, I think that this, even though, on the one hand, I thought about, when I thought about having you on, I was thinking, what? Suicide, black book. <laughs> we have enough blackness these days. Things seem dark enough. Um, but, you know, we're going to talk about this. And then, as I was reading it, and I was realizing what, um, what this is really all about, I had the opposite impression and felt that, yes, indeed, um, all of the chaos in this world from terrorism to economic problems to the arguments that people have been having for at least the past year and are continuing to have political arguments that are just crazy. Um, everybody's kind of angry at everybody else. And, um, and, and there is a lot. Uh, the, probably the, the amount, the number of people who will have attempted or committed suicide in during this these months, maybe the past six months, so the past year, and then this next year, um, I, I would imagine will increase. And so then I realized how very necessary it was to talk about this subject, particularly in a way um, that will help people to come to terms with some of these feelings that might then make them think about suicide. So, take it from here. <laughs> okay, yeah, you brought out some very poignant points. There's a lot to cover, yeah. <laughs> Lifetimes of work. But um, in essence, you know, the first question was, uh, is the question that most people do ask, you know, but I'm going to touch on that a little bit later. I think the best way to begin is I really wanted to share this 
story, my story with the world, you know, to let people know, excuse me, who are suffering, that there is still hope. This is basically a realization, and I don't want you or your audience to take this the wrong way, please, (laughs) but after years of spiritual searching and other types of searching, I had a realization, and that realization was that there is really no cure for suffering. Now, I felt a need to kind of tell it in a way that would take the pressure off of people to find a solution that doesn't really exist. You know, so through the story of this protagonist, you can follow her through the process of realizing that suffering is inherent to existence. I'm sure with your work over all of the years and your studies, you know, it is inherent. It's a part of our conditioning. And the story is how she comes to terms with it. You know, it's paradoxical, but the key insight here is that although human suffering is innate, it's a given, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Now, you know, I've done a lot of homework, I've done a lot of research, and and the suicidal tendency is based somewhat on a feeling of hopelessness and the feeling of not being able to experience anything beyond that feeling. Now, that's a very frightening feeling to experience. And it's been my experience that once you realize what's really going on here and kind of this game of life, you know, you can then begin to have more of a handle on how to relate to it and really make peace with that truth. So that was the intention of, you know, the book in its inception. And once again, I will tell you that this is the first book in a planned trilogy. There are two other books to follow. So what we're doing here, or what I'm doing here, what we're all going to be doing here, is we're going to be journeying through a life death, and rebirth situation, and we're going to be coming back to life in a new way, which is actually the subtitle of this book. So that's the starting point, the launching point of the discussion. Okay. Well, (laughs) I'd like to um, get, you know, I, I usually ask my guests, especially when they're authors, to start back, like, you know, people want to know, before they can take in what you're saying, you know that people want to know who you are. Like, why should I believe her? So could you start with your birth, um, start with your childhood in any case, and um, just give us a feel, you know, you can, you can tell us about your education, all of that too, but just give us a feel for who you are. Well, I'm kind of a regular gal that was born into a society like the rest of us that is based on a conditioned situation. And there are many, many facets to this. There are physical, emotional, moral, sorrow, you know, social, mental, cultural. You're, you're brought into this existence. So if you're asking me who I am, I'm a gal that was brought into this existence. Well, come on. I mean, and I'll go a little deeper. I know you want to dig deep, and I'm deep digger. So okay. digs deep as well. Um, had a normal, relatively normal childhood, um, school, friends, after school activities. And, you know, during the course of existence, I just kind of felt that in a way, you know, there were feelings that were coming to the surface that were not very pleasant. And, you know, As a young child, you, or I'll speak for myself, you know, I would never speak in the name of another, but I myself really didn't know how to make heads or tails of any of this. So, you know, you start out with the general um, therapeutic methods, and then you go into higher educational methods, and then... All of a sudden, after all of the stabilization, so to speak, of each one of those portions of my life and my life history, I came into a, um, a teacher, 
I came to find a teacher that um, was geared in the, he's actually a medical doctor, Dr. Gerald Epstein, and he is um, a medical doctor, a psychoanalyst by trade, and in 1974, actually had gone to Jerusalem and met his teacher, uh, since deceased, Colette Albuquerque-Muscott. And he came back after a question she had proposed to him. He came back to New York in a totally, completely different enlightened state. He found enlightenment in an instantaneous instant. He turned into light, and that was his enlightened moment. And he started to practice a different way to treat the human condition, which um, was a synthesis of some work, but based on mental imagery. And I've had a fascinating journey and experience with him, and sometimes I say this book is an homage to the work. But basically, the novel is comprised of 27 suicide notes. I mean, you can look at it and say, you know, the question is, okay, Adele, how much of this is fact and how much is fiction, all right? (laughs) And it's a very interesting question that I think really deserves a concretized answer. And the answer is it's a little of both. I mean, this is fiction based on life experience. You know, my teacher would always use this metaphor, and it was always interesting to me. You know, say you're laying in bed at night or dreaming you're in Hawaii. The question then becomes, you know, are you in Hawaii or are you sleeping in your bed? So, like a lot of people, I've had my ups and downs, and yes, I've struggled at times, and I continue to do so. But I found a way out, and that's what I wanted to share with people. You know, this um, epidemic, it's an epidemic proportion suicide, and I found the, the subject fascinating and developed a true passion for it. And this was basically, as I started getting into these notes, I started finding a lot of myself you know, it started bringing um, some light into an otherwise very dark and dismal corner that sometimes I actually found myself in. You know, how are you to escape this type of feeling? How are you to get out of this darkness? How do you find the light? You know, it's um, one of the cardinal rules not to be envious, but I would always spend my time being envious of, I don't understand how all of these people just have beautiful lives and nobody's bothered by anything. And, you know, you look at all the actors and actresses, I would always say in a hypothetical case, don't they ever get migraine headaches? I mean, how are they always able to go on stage and, and perform? form, you know, and I started really um, investigating my own life, and I say it's always an inside job. You really have to start taking a journey inward, which is not always the most pleasant, and if you dig deep enough, like I dug through this book, you find, uh, you, you can find some gold. You really can. You know, many of us live in what I call a state of false emergency. And let me explain that to the audience. I'll just brush over it. The false state of emergency is basically reacting to something that feels real, but is not in essence true. So my teacher would always give two examples, which I believe really make a great point. Say one true state of emergency, okay, could be if someone were holding a gun to your head and ready to pull that trigger. Another, maybe a grizzly bear were coming toward you and ready to attack, all right? Now, those are true emergencies. However, okay, when one is full of fear, anxiety, pain, suffering, devastation, humiliation, and everything else that the human condition can, you know, conjure up to feel in their mind, you know, even though they aren't actually under any real threat, no gun to head, no grizzly bear, that might feel very real to the one experiencing it, but it's by no means true. So Mm -hmm. through this woman's story, you can learn that you don't have to live this way. And that realization can result in living a much more balanced, sane, sober, and simpler life. 
Mm-hmm. You're talking about like people who always catastrophize things. It's similar to that. Thinking that thinking that the worst thing is going to happen. If you know, if you're if you're approaching something new or you're in some kind of uh, uh, situation and you, you start your mind starts drumming up. What's the worst that could happen with this? So, right. Now, some people do that. I mean, you can also look at it from another perspective. You know, I mean, what happens, the mind is very tricky. I mean, you're a doctor. I'm, I, you know, I mean, I'm a regular gal. I don't have a medical degree. I write this from life experience. But talking to you is fascinating to me because we're taking it from, you know, little different perspective, which I think the audience would find very interesting, at least to me anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at this, suicide is a complex issue. I mean, there are many different dimensions of it. Like I said, there's mental illness, I would assume brain chemistry, family life, the social culture, and, and much more. I wanted to delve into this into more of a spiritual and moral dimension, which is often overlooked by our society. Now, suicide, based upon that fundamental state of hopelessness, you know, you can look at someone like a Viktor Frankl, okay? It's all about one's internal freedom and its power. Viktor Frankl, who was a doctor that, you know, was in the concentration camps, I mean, he explained, his works were fascinating to me, he explained that the only thing his captors could not take away from him was his internal freedom. Now, Mm -hmm. that freedom is not something that you can surgically remove. So this book, is about finding the path to one's own internal freedom. Okay. Um, you know, I can keep going. Things, <laughs> well, I, I mean, I want you to keep going, but I was kind of hoping that you would make it a little more personal uh, because then that, I mean, you, whether you want to tell the story of the book and, and let us sort of wonder how much of it is actually you, but... Um, but uh, take us through this this journey. Although it's funny that I'm saying, and I think you use the word journey. Um, one of the things I liked on your website, you have this um, a blog on your blog actually. Yeah. Um, is is this? Um, you have a lot of uh, things from other people who write uh, is in a similar kind of vein or or you know related kinds of subjects. And there's this um, one blog that says, Life is Not a Journey, uh, by Alan Watts and David Lindbergh. Yes. And this, I, I was really touched by um, the... <laughs> oh, there's the music. I'll have to... Okay, let me just say this quickly. I was really touched by uh, the video that they uh, produced, that they created, right. because yeah. um, how it talked about, you know, we're all we're taught... We're taught uh, life is a journey, or even, you know, life is a journey, not a destination. Um, but even that isn't quite right. But we need to take a break now. Um, right. We'll get back to do that. Um, my guest is Adele Paula Royce. Her book is called The Little Black Book of Suicide Notes. And we will continue, um, and you will, you'll understand what this is all about. <laughs> Stay tuned, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the Terrorism Hotline. 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today with Adele Paula Royce. Her book is The Little Black Book of Suicide Notes. We're going to be talking in a minute about um, when it was launched and why it was launched that day. But I just wanted to finish what I was starting to say about the video about life being a journey or not. And um, we'll give you the the website address at the end of the show. But, um, you know, it's, it's a beautiful video that shows you how we are trained from the time, from the time that we're born almost um, to be looking forward to things, to be, to be um, looking, always looking towards the future, always looking towards the destination, whether it's, you know, first grade and then second grade and then high school and college and all of these things. And it's like when you get there, then you'll have made it. Or when you make a certain amount of money after that, you'll have made it. Or when you get married and have kids, you'll have made it. All these different things, these milestones, that we are taught to, to have our eye on all the time, to be aiming for, and even though, you know, I'm sure you've all heard life is a journey, not a destination, but that's not what we've been trained to, to think about. And instead, really what we should be doing is um, being present in the moment and not letting life pass us by because, you know, then you get to the end of your life, like uh, in the video they talk about people retiring, saving money and looking forward to retirement, and then by the time they get there, you know, you never know what's going to happen in your life. And, I mean, you, you, so the idea is that you shouldn't be always looking towards some, some magic thing in the future that will mean that your life is meaningful. All right, now let's go back to the book. <laughs> okay, but I want to say something about that because that's so sure. important. That is such sure, a sure. poignant question and, and, and synopsis. You know, it's the expectations, everyone, the sole root of anxiety is the futurizing, you know, I mean, I myself, I I mean, I've been in business, I have, you know, my background is in art, and I have gotten myself into corporate America, and now an artist and a writer, but, you know, during my career, I can honestly tell you that I, I have the same thing. You know, oh, if I could only get this job and it would pay me this amount and then I did get that job. And then I started building up a database and someone else would come after me and say, you know something, we'll pay you more. And and I said, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, if that's going to happen, then I, all my troubles will be over. And then uh, the, you know, the, the database started building up more and more people wanted me for the connections. <laughs> you know, so it was like every time I started getting to the next level of my life, you know, I, I, everything was supposed to be a different way. And guess what? It wasn't, okay? Uh-huh. It, it, it never really did the trick. There was always something else that was uh, uh, something missing. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a missing key ingredient in a wonderful meal. You know, what is that key ingredient that could make you smile and satiated and say, yeah. hey, you know something? I finally found it and I'm finished looking. You know, I mean, so all roads lead to Rome. I mean, it was Alan Watts, if you listen to any of the works of Eckhart Tolle, which are brilliant. You know, I mean, you can take this, I mean, Ram Dass, you can take this uh, from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south. All of these roads and cultures are going to lead you to Rome. They're going to lead you to one spot. That the past is dead, buried, gone. The future is making up stories of things that do not exist. 
only creating, I mean, I would assume, again, I'm not a doctor, but to the nth degree could put you in a psychotic, maybe schizophrenic state, you know, I mean, the idea is to stay centered and equanimous in a balanced state in the moment, which is, from my experience, the most difficult thing to do. And based Mm -hmm. upon the suicide rate, which is in epidemic proportions, and the demographics are mind-blowing. I mean, I would say the people, not only myself, are experiencing that staying in the moment is as difficult a thing to do as one could, you know, embark upon. So what invariably happened was when you look at children, I mean, ages 10 to 13, 13 to 15, I'm not saying someone 103 isn't, you know, contemplating the act or might have done it, you know, but the 27 Club, all of these people that had the world at their fingertips, I mean, the Hemingways, the Van Goghs, the Gauguins, you know, the the musicians, everything, the fortune, the fame, the money, the the houses, the you know, overlooking Malibu, the Big Sur, you know, and yet, is are they happy? You know, there is a great deal of an element of loneliness about this. And it's an internal loneliness, and I speak from experience, you know, I don't speak, I'm not randomly taking this from out of thin air, you know, and drawing it from the sky without a purpose. I mean, the purpose here is to let people know that they are not alone in this feeling. You know, there is a great deal of stigmatizing of this suicidal issue. You know, the associated, Dr. Epstein actually wrote about it and was very clear in the foreword. He wrote the foreword to this book, and I even mentioned it quite a bit in my author's note. The associated element of craziness or insanity about it, well, guess what? You know, some of our brightest minds of our times committed suicide. Because of the complexity of the issue and the stigmatism that the suicidal feeling means that something is wrong with you, you know, there's a lot of shame involved in that. And this book is trying to show people that that is not the case that they can find a way out. And going through this journey, you know, I mean, like you had mentioned Alan Watts, I mean, you know, he has the the clip about Times Square where everybody's running, 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 and I mentioned it in one of the notes. You're running, running, running. You know, it's like mice chasing their tails. You know, I certainly hope, and I quote myself from the book, you know, I hope they certainly find what it is they're looking for when they get there, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, a bit of an answer to what you were looking at. And then you had also wanted to touch on the Valentine's Day issue, which is a yeah, very so poignant one as well. Yes, this book was launched on Valentine's Day, and you did that with, for, a reason, for a very poignant reason to tell us about it. Yeah, you know, I think it may seem contradictory to launch a book about suicide on Valentine's Day, but it's actually very appropriate. I mean, Valentine's Day is one of the gloomiest days of the year for those who are suffering. You know, in fact, the suicide hotlines get more calls on Valentine's Day than most of the times of the year. So one of the biggest issues that people with suicidal thoughts and feelings have is that societal pressure that you should feel happy, you should be in love, you know, or have some other kind of positive emotion. But it's important at this time of year to let people know that it's okay to struggle. You can feel blue, you know. I mean, even if it seems like the whole world is seeing roses. So it made a lot of sense to me that Valentine's Day would see such a peak in suicide. You know, one of the biggest factors, actually, that leads one to feel suicide, as I said before, and I continue to say it, is hopelessness. But it's also, Carol, our society's relentless need for everything to appear okay and just fine. And it makes it very difficult for any of us to experience depressing emotions, which are inevitable. 
I mean, even in a healthy and integrated way. You know, this dynamic is stronger than ever during Valentine's Day when advertisers, movies, TV, you know, the social media feeds that are bombarding us with images of love and happiness. I mean, it makes us feel that there's something wrong with us and we don't feel like we're perfectly happy. And that just compounds the blues. You know, my message... And if we're not in love, in a loving relationship. Yeah, and that's why I said, you know, my message for people who might be struggling on Valentine's Day, to your point, it's more important to love yourself, you know, than it is to love someone else or even feel loved. You know, loving yourself is something that you don't have to rely on anyone else for. All right, that might be a lot to digest because it's not really, you know, your conditioning, so to speak, does not really allow one to think in those terms. But it's a re-education of the conditioning. It's a re-education of the thought process. Sometimes, you know, it gives you an inner freedom that can shine a light even in the darkest darkness. And, you know, that was part of the message. So, you know, it did serve a purpose, a poignant purpose. Well, well, this will go go right into um, talking about your first suicide note. Um, There are 27, and the, the first one is called, One is a Lonely Number, Suicide Note Number One. So tell us about that. Well, interestingly enough, um, I come from a Western tradition and um, actually Judaism. Uh, so I was writing about Yom Kippur, you know, and basically I started thinking, I just started bleeding all of this out, you know, and didn't know where it was going to take me. But as each note went on, it started venturing into something that I never even anticipated was inside of me. You know, so it starts giving you the idea that if you follow all of these laws or these commandments, you know, I mean, basically, that is a way to lead a sane and sober and balanced life. So this book is kind of teaching you how frustrated someone is when they think that they're doing something right, you know, even though there's really no right and wrong. But when they think that they're doing everything that they can, but they're just not, nothing's happening for them. You know, they're trying every which way but loose, so to speak, and it's still not happening. They're riding, you know, um, the wave of business. They're riding the wave of, of, of dating people. They're riding the wave of making money. They've been in different types of situations that one would imagine would bring them to the top, you know, and yet all of this brought them basically no place, (laughs) only to a place where they realize that there must be something else other than this because there needs to be a way to live other than the way to live a destructive life. And that's what this book is really about. And because the first book, The Little Black Book of Suicide Notes, is actually broken down, just the first book in and of itself, into three parts. The first 16 notes of the 27 are basically based on the thought process of different states of mind of what would lead a person up to that kind of a, um, a brink of wanting to just, you know, dive off a cliff or go to the edge. Uh, the second part of the first book is entitled The Ten Commandments of Suicide, where I basically based one, one note, uh, there were ten of them, which brought you to note 26, um, on biblical scripture. And the third no- uh, part of the first book is um, one note, and I'm going to leave that to the audience to delve into themselves because mm-hmm. it's something very personal and it's something very intimate and I think that they might find something very special in it for themselves, everyone in a different way. Mm -hmm. Then the second book is going to be going into 
the, this is basically a spiritual death. So, you know, the Sufi saying is die many times before you die. So the second book of the trilogy is entitled, you know, the first one is Life's Trials, Tribulations, and Misconceptions. And next we're going to take a journey through death. Okay, in novel form. <laughs> and we're going to explore with those who have died tragic and intentional deaths by their own hand and just find out what's beyond. We'll interview them, we'll talk to them, and we will find out what's going on over there. And then we're going to come back in book three. We will journey back writing a very new scroll for our own life and a new life story. And we're going to come back to life in a new way, which again is a subtitle to this first book. So I would say to stay tuned for some fascinating ideas and experiences coming the reader's way. And based upon the fact that, you know, I wanted to bring something into this world that would live for eternity, you know, it took me about, just getting a little personal here, it took me about a year to do the actual writing. But the process, I would have to say, was percolating, probably from a prenatal state, <laughs> but for about five years and maybe lifetimes before that, who knows. But the most difficult challenge for me was navigating that vulnerability, that fine line between the story of the protagonist and my own life. You know, it was also kind of hard for me to figure out when to end the book. How many notes would there be? Should I end it on a positive note? You know, and then an interesting thought came my way. You know, what about taking my own advice for a change instead of everyone else's, become my own authority, and move forward to find out what was on the other side of this life, and then continue the journey of coming back in a new way. So that's how the formulation of the project took place. Well, now, wait a second. I'm not... (laughs) How do you plan to do that? I I mean, are you saying... I mean, you can't possibly be saying that you would actually kill yourself to see what, what... what happens when you die and then you'd be no, able to come back? No, no, no. This is, okay. once again, to clarify a spiritual death. This is going through, you know, the death of the false self, so to speak, the death of your inner terrorist, the death of your anxieties, the death of your, you know, that disturbed state that someone might be in. And going a little bit further with it in novel form, obviously, it's fiction, to find out what what these people who have taken their lives by their own hand have to say about it. You know, I mean, would they have done it again? Why did they do it? I mean, these were people that were very prominent figures in society. And, you know, most art comes from a very painful place. I mean, if you listen to, you know, I mean, I love rock and roll, and I made a lot of, you know, inferences to it in the book. I mean, music is an international language. It's not based in logic. You don't need to understand a particular language to experience it. It's vibrational. You know, I mean, I'm probably Bob Dylan's big, one of his biggest fans, and I even use some of his lyrics at the end of one of my notes. But I think it's pretty much something to paraphrase what he said about Woody Guthrie, that if you listen to what he says, you can learn how to live. And basically, you know, that's what this is. If you listen to some of this, you can really learn about life and how to live it in a way that you might not have been taught. It can kind of take away a layer, peeling the onion, peeling the layers of that onion to get a little bit deeper into yourself and find out what really makes you tick and maybe strike some gold. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I have a lot more questions. I'm sure you do. <laughs> when we come back... Um, we're talking today about the book of the author, the book written by my guest, Adele Paula Royce, 
The book is called The Little Black Book of Suicide Notes. Adele, you're being very uh, mysterious here, very <laughs> evasive, and I'm going to hope to get you a little less evasive in the last uh, um, part of the show. So, thank you, everybody. <laughs> you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, as all of my listeners know, if you've listened to more than one or two, even if you've just listened to one show, um, you will likely have heard that I put my, my guests on the couch in one way or the other. <laughs> and um, I was just telling my guests um, uh, that Adele Paula Royce, who has written the book, The Little Black Book of Suicide Notes, that um, I had expected um, her to talk about, and I know that, I know what all of you are thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing, that you know, this is all very well and good to look at this in a clinical or an intellectual way, but really, in order for us to get anything substantial or anything um, that we can feel out of this, we need to hear some, 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 something personal from you, Adele. Like, like, tell us about you being on. I mean, I was, I was saying to Adele off the air that certainly nobody would write a book this is the first in a trilogy yet. Nobody would write a book, a little black book of suicide notes, if they hadn't ever really contemplated suicide. And yes, she makes the point in the book about how, and it's certainly true, that probably most of us have at one time or another thought about suicide, at least had, you know, even if it's a fleeting thought, we, if, if we had some big disappointment or somebody died in our life or a love affair ended um, and we didn't want it to end, um, all kinds of things or some kind of an illness that you didn't expect and that you have to deal with. There are all kinds of things that can happen in life that make you think about suicide. Now, of course, um, not everybody will actually then carry that further and make a suicide attempt. Um, then there's also a suicidal gesture. That's when someone is trying to get attention and they make what seems like an attempt, but if they stage it in such a way that somebody's going to be coming home right when they, before they've taken all the bottle of pills. Um, so, so, Adele, please. <laughs> so we, can, we, can, we can see this is real. Tell us about, during the break, I, I was saying, um, and my listeners know I give, I give my guests, <laughs> I, I delve into their lives, um, but I was saying that my gut, um, my intuitive intuition, whatever, my, my psychiatrist in me, um, was just kind of guessing or feeling that um, that the things that made, and you said that there are, could be a number of things, of course, that would make somebody think of suicide, but I was saying that I thought maybe for you the, the thing that would have brought you closest to thinking about suicide or maybe even making an attempt 
would be um, a love affair, either loneliness, not finding love, or a love affair, a love affair gone sour. Um, where I think in some which way, shape, and manner that that might be oversimplifying the issue. I think basically what my intention is here to, and I will go into it in a little bit more depth, but there is a compilation of issues that various people experience. I mean, there is loneliness. There is broken love affairs. There are marriages that break up. There are illnesses. There are deaths. I mean, this life, you know, you're born in from the moment you come in. You know, it's it's almost a trick. It's here to make you suffer, okay? And it's your job to find out how to get out of it. But, I mean, basically, what I did say, and I'll make this point again, you know, like a lot of people, I have had my own pain and suffering. What exactly did that come from? Who knows? I mean, a little bit of loneliness, a little bit of broken love affairs, deaths and illnesses. I mean, you know, I I come, I'm a one of three daughters, and, you know, the middle daughter, um, let her rest in peace, is deceased. I mean, so you go through a trial and tribulation of a very close family member dying, you know, somewhat unexpectedly. I mean, you go through parental aging and what that does to a person. You know, I mean, someone young could have a pet that dies, you know, and or gets lost or, or something happens, you know, anything can trigger something, and not everybody is prepared at any given moment for what might happen. Yes, we only have a few minutes left. Could you just tell us what, and you don't have to say what was causing it, but what did it feel like? Well, first of all, did you ever make a suicide attempt? No, but I can read something that I think will clarify it for you, and it is actually in the note that you picked out. It was from note number one, and it was very clearly said and stated by Thoreau. And Thoreau once said, in quotes, It is easier to sail many thousand miles through cold and storm and cannibals in a government ship with 500 men and boys to assist one than it is to explore the private sea, the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean of one's being alone. And I think that the loneliness that a person feels or some state of intensity that one might feel is from any, you know, a critical mass comes from many different oh, places. Okay, Adele, Adele, we only have like two minutes left. Can you just tell us your feeling, what it felt like to be on the brink, when you, whatever it came from, just something more real than all of this. You know, this has all been very interesting, and, but very intellectual and clinical. Can you just tell us something real about yourself? I I'm think there was suicide after this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I said I'm going to commit suicide after this interview. Oh no, you're going to have to continue to read the book and find your way out. It'll take you from that darkness to the light because that's what the reader is going to come out with, hopefully. Hope with a double exclamation point, you know, to let them know that there is a way out other than a destructive one that you're speaking about. Because once you realize what living an enslaved life is, you can then begin to journey coming back to it in a new way. And as far as the personalization of something like this, I think everyone is going to experience it in their own way. Let's just say that I'm acting as a catalyst for other people to explore their lives and how to make them more productive and how to find some light. All right. Let me give out your website. It's AdelePaulaRoyce.com, A-D-E-L-E, Paula, P-A-U-L-A, Royce, R-O-Y-C-E, Com. And the book, again, is called The Little Black Book of Suicide Notes. And please, everybody out there, do not, do not commit suicide out of frustration because we don't really know what Adele has been feeling in terms of um, what things in her life have driven her to, to get this knowledge first up close and personal. But I will say one important thing that I've learned as a psychiatrist uh, dealing with many patients who have been suicidal, um, you know, amongst, <laughs> amongst lots of other issues. Um, the thing is, when people have 
been suicidal, made a suicide attempt, and it wasn't successful, and they came back, they have all, pretty much all, even though at the beginning they might say, oh, I'm, I can't even, I'm not even good at committing suicide, but really all of them have been happy that they haven't been, weren't successful in actually committing suicide because the thing that seems hopeless at the moment um, down the road, there are ways to fix these things. And I have actually seen this with countless people where they were at that point of hopelessness. They did make an attempt. They, it wasn't successful. They were rescued or, or you know, somehow one, they didn't take enough pills or whatever. They, they you know, one, all different kinds of ways that they, their suicide attempt was, was mitigated. And, um, and then whatever the problems were, that they had that were driving them to that point, they were ultimately able to resolve, at least to an extent that they were finding happiness again. They were laughing again. It was so wonderful to see people who who had made this choice to commit suicide, and only by the grace of God they were saved, and then uh, then to see them laughing a month later and to be finding things in their life that they're really happy about and that they're really glad that, that they didn't end their life. So, well, you know uh, what they say, laughter is the best medicine. Yes. And so, so I, I, I wish, you know, if there was some way for people to, to uh, know that. I mean, that's the thing. When it gets so dark, people don't believe that there is any, any, any reason worth living, anything anymore worth living. Their situation is so awful. But then in the end, <laughs> in the end, it turns out that they find their way out. So again, the book is called The Little Black Book of Suicide Notes, uh, Adele Paula Royce, AdelePaulaRoyce.com. And of course, people can get it from Amazon, and right? Yes, and Barnes & Noble as well. And it's in a wonderful audio version as well with a rendition of Suicide is Painless that was done by a very talented artist. Uh, the recording and production, Tony Noe of Suicide is Painless from the movie MASH. So for any of you music aficionados out there, you might, might want to delve into the audiobook as well. It's a wonderful project, and hopefully this will save a lot of lives. Okay, well, thank you so much, Adele, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.